The scripture text this evening is in the book of 1 Thessalonians, in the first of Paul's letters to the church in Thessalonica. And our text this evening is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, through the end of the chapter, through verse 10. Let me start at the beginning. So we'll be reading chapter 1 of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Christianity is a religion of faith. As Christians, we speak of salvation by faith, walking by faith, living by faith. We believe that salvation is not through good works, but through faith in the Lord Jesus and Christ alone. And what is meant by salvation through faith is that to be saved, you must put your trust not in yourselves, not in your good works, not in your performance in any way, but your trust must be solely in Jesus Christ who shed his blood for sinners on the cross of Calvary. Salvation is about receiving and resting upon Christ alone as the substitute for sinners who by his obedience and suffering has merited righteousness for all sinners who trust in him. So really all of the Christian life is a matter of faith. By faith we believe God created this world. By faith we believe the Bible is God's word. By faith, we believe that as his dear children, God is sovereignly ruling our lives so that everything that takes place in our lives is for our good. By faith, we believe that there is a heaven and that Jesus is now there preparing a place for us. By faith, we believe that on a day not far in the future, Jesus is going to return and will sit as judge over all of the world. Because faith is such a prominent part of our lives as Christians, some try to tell us that there is no incentive for us to do good works. On the one hand, there are those who think that they can take advantage of the situation. They like the idea that salvation is by faith and not by works, and because they think that this means that works don't matter in the Christian life. They think this means they can live the lifestyle of sin, the sin that they love, and be a Christian all at the same time. They figure that they can ask Christ for forgiveness at the end of every escapade in sin. And since they have the faith to believe that their sins will be forgiven, everything will be okay. 
On the other hand, are those Christians who know that the Bible teaches the necessity of good works, and they feel that to teach salvation by faith alone will make people lax in their Christian walk. And so their solution, as they see it, is to teach salvation by faith and works. And they know Scripture well enough to know that you can't throw out faith and that you must even give the prominent place to faith, but they still insist that works in some measure, in some way, are a part of our salvation. There have even been those within the OPC in the past, in the recent past, who have redefined faith. So that faith includes not only belief in Christ, but also our works for Christ as well. And with this new, definition, this new definition of faith, they then have no problem saying that we are saved by faith alone. And the danger and deception is that we use the expression faith alone, as the Reformers did, to mean faith alone apart from works. But today's false teacher, teachers use the very same expression, faith alone, to mean only the faith that has works. And these are not new problems. The church has always had to carefully explain the relationship between faith and good works in order to counter errors. And what the true church of Jesus Christ has always explained and always believed is that good works flow out of true faith in Jesus Christ. The person who puts his or her faith in Jesus Christ is a person who no longer loves sin, no longer wants to live in it. The person who comes to Jesus in true faith is a person who repents of sin, which means turning from sin and sorrow over it. The person who is united to Christ by a living faith is like a branch connected to a vine. The vine is Jesus Christ and, his, and, and being connected to him as his sap, so to speak, flows into you, you will bear fruit. This new way of life characterized by good works, it's not coincidence. This is not an accidental effect of becoming a Christian, but good works are a part of the purpose for God saving you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is a very familiar passage that clearly teaches that we are saved by faith alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But after having established that truth, the next verse brings out God's purpose in giving his people faith. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So good works are always the result. They are the effect. They are the fruit of a living, vital faith in Jesus Christ. These good works do not save us. Only Christ can do that. But good works do give evidence of the person who is saved. And that is exactly the perspective that we find here in our text this evening in verses 2 through 10 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. In these verses, Paul wants the congregation in Thessalonica to know that he thanks God for them. He is thankful that they have become people of faith, thankful, as he says specifically in verse 9, that they have turned to God from idols. He's thankful for the fact that God has saved them. And he knows beyond any shadow of a doubt that they are Christians. Paul words it this way in verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. He knows this about them. He knows that they are people of faith. He knows that they have been chosen, or we might we use the, the expression, we know that they have been elected, because there are evidences of these things in their lives. Just as the relationship between faith and good works is sometimes misunderstood, so it is that many misunderstand the doctrine of election. 
Election means to choose. An election is God's choice to save some of the sinful people of this world. Some people wrongly say that election means simply that God chooses to save people who will put their faith in him. But that is not what scripture teaches us about election. Scripture clearly teaches that God, back in eternity, before this world existed, decided to make his grace known in the lives of a certain number of people. The decision was to save them. And since salvation is always by faith, election was essentially a decision to give faith to a certain number of people. And uh, this understanding of the relationship between faith and election matches exactly with the teaching of Scripture. First, Scripture teaches that Faith is not something that originates in us, but is something that God gives us. Ephesians 2 verse 8 read a moment ago says that faith is the gift of God. Philippians 1 verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. So faith is something that God must grant us. It is something he must give us. And as depraved sinners dead in our trespasses and sins, We can never respond to the gospel with faith unless God first works spiritual life in us. 1 Corinthians 2.14 reminds us that the natural man, the unregenerate man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. And Jesus says in John 6 verse 44, no one can come to me. No one is able to go to the Lord Jesus Christ unless the Father who sent him draws him. At the same time, Scripture clearly teaches that not everyone will have faith unto salvation. In more than one place, we read of how Jesus will judge unbelievers. Scripture teaches that there is a place called hell where unbelievers will suffer forever. And since faith is a gift of God, the fact that some do not have faith means that God has not granted this gift to everyone. So to whom does he give faith? Well, he gives faith to his elect. God chose in eternity those to whom he would give the gift of faith. And it is they and they alone who in time are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit and enabled to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Unless there be any misunderstanding, a few more words must be said about this doctrine of election. Scripture is also clear that God's election of some to salvation and the exclusion of others has nothing to do with one person being more worthy than the other. In Romans 9, God would have us to know that he chose Jacob and did not choose Esau, but the choosing was before they were born, before they had done any good or bad. In other words, Jacob wasn't chosen to be a member of God's family because he was a good person, nor was it that God decided to not elect Esau because he was evil. It wasn't even a decision based on what God knew the men would be like sometime in the future. Romans 9 is clear on this. God's election is in eternity, and it is unconditional. Though election is unconditional, God was well aware of the fact that the people whom he was choosing and not choosing would all be fallen sinners in Adam. This fact means that all the people that God chose for salvation, has chosen, are not deserving of salvation, and uh, those who he did not choose are, because of their sin, deserving of condemnation. People sometimes say that election is unfair, but no one deserves to be chosen for salvation. God could be perfectly just in choosing none. And furthermore, when God condemns an unelect 
unbeliever to hell, God is not in any way responsible for that person's sin and unbelief. God's decision to not elect does not make a person a sinner. but It has always been man's own sinful decision to rebel against God and live in sin. God simply has chosen to let some remain in this sinful condition and to suffer the consequences of it for all eternity. God would be just in electing none, but in love, he has elected some. Some are graciously delivered from their sins and given salvation. And so we arrive at the inescapable conclusion that those who are given the gift of faith are the elect. This is the relationship between faith and election. Those with faith are the elect. There are others who are elect who are currently unbelievers, but at some point in their life, they will be given faith. Some are confused by this doctrine of election and raise various issues against it. Many think that election means that there will be people who do believe and who want to be saved, but won't be saved because they are not on the list of those elected. But if you believe, you can know you are elect. Others are scared or disconcerted by the doctrine of election because they wonder, am I elect? How can I know if I am elect? How can I know if I am on the list, if I am one of the chosen ones? Well, the passage before us this evening deals with these issues. This passage reminds us of how we can recognize true believers. Just as we know a person has faith by their works, the same evidences of faith are the same evidences of election. This is why Paul can say in verse 4 that he knows the people of the church of Thessalonica are chosen or elect of God. Even though election is a decision that God has made in eternity, even though God didn't show Paul the, the names that were written in his book of life, Paul knew that the people to whom he had ministered in Thessalonica were elect. Even though today we also have no access to the names written in the book of life, yet we can both know for ourselves and for others whether our names are there. Well, how is this? Well, it's because there are evidences in the lives of true believers to prove they are elect. And uh, this evening, my prayer is that as we consider these evidences, you will see them at work in your life. And also recognize that to be a true believer doesn't require you to be perfect in these things, but these evidences must be present in some measure, however small, and they ought to be growing and increasing in your life. So what are these evidences? Well, the first evidence of election is a sinner responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ with faith. First evidence of election is a sinner responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ with faith. Paul says in verse 3 about the Thessalonians that he remembers their work of faith. He sees in their lives works that flow out of genuine faith in Jesus Christ. This faith is made evident by their response to the gospel. After Paul says he knows their election by God in verse 4, in verse 5, he tells us how he knows this. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy, and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. In, a, in verse 6, Paul refers to how they received the word in much affliction. And in verse 8, Paul says of them, your faith in God has gone forth. 
In verse 9, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And what was the kind or what was the manner of reception given to the apostle and his companions? Well, they were received and they were welcomed as messengers of the good news of Jesus Christ. Quite obviously then and then and now, not everyone responds to the gospel like the Thessalonians did. In some cases, preachers of the gospel are hated and persecuted because of their message. Uh, in many cases, they're ignored. But Paul told the Thessalonians that the gospel did not come in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. But for many, the gospel does come in word only, without power, without any evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. When the gospel comes in word only, this means that the words are heard and in some cases even understood, but they're not believed and they're not acted upon appropriately. As we've all witnessed, for many, the preaching of the gospel is just another nice speech that doesn't seem to have impact on people's lives. But when the elect hear the gospel, there is a positive response like we see Uh, being reported in Thessalonica. The Holy Spirit is obviously at work in the hearts of some as they hear the gospel, for they believe it. They believe the gospel as it impacts them personally. Are you one of these elect whose life has been changed by the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit? When you hear the word of God declaring that you are a sinner without hope of salvation in yourself, do you believe that that is true of you? When scripture condemns you as a sinner before God, does it grieve your heart that you have sinned and especially that you have rebelled against God himself? And when you hear about how Jesus died on the cross for sinners to take their punishment, is it your yearning that Christ would take your sin and pay your debt? Do you look to Christ as your savior pleading for mercy and forgiveness, knowing that there is no other way for you to be right with God than through Jesus as your substitute? Do you have the faith to believe that, that God will forgive your sins, as great and as many as they are, through the obedience and sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ? Do you believe the gospel that by trusting in Christ, his righteousness is put to your account? Do you have the assurance that you will go to heaven because you believe the promises of God in Jesus Christ are true? These questions are designed to get to the heart of what you believe about Jesus and about salvation. What has been your response to the gospel? Gospel means good news. Is it good news for you personally? The elect of God, you see, are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit so that when they hear the gospel, they are never the same again. The elect love the gospel of Jesus Christ because they love the Savior of the gospel. Jesus and his salvation become for the elect, hopefully have become for you the greatest joy of your lives. Are you of the elect? Paul knew that the response that the Thessalonians gave to the gospel was due to the work of the Holy Spirit because Paul never used manipulation or persuasive words of man's wisdom to win over converts. We'll talk some more in chapter 2 about his missionary methods And what is clear is that Paul's preaching had power to change lives, not because of Paul. It was not because 
of the particular way that he said things, but the power was of God. And this is what Paul is referring to at the end of verse 5 when he says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. When all a missionary does is humbly and simply proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ and salvation and people's lives are changed, there is no doubt that the changes are not of man, but they are of God. And when the word is received, even in the midst of much affliction, as Paul says in verse 6, then you know for sure the Lord is doing a work. Because people don't naturally want to take on beliefs that are going to bring them persecution and ridicule and a whole host of problems. According to verse 9, many of the people of the Thessalonian church had been worshipers of idols. They were now turning then from the religion that they had known for years, the religion of their ancestors, It can be sure that family and friends who remained in idol worship didn't approve of these new beliefs. We specifically know from Acts that as for the Jews of the synagogue, they drove Paul and his companions out of Thessalonica. They undoubtedly then did everything they could to make the lives of these Christians in Thessalonica miserable. But these believers counted the cost and they gave themselves to Christ. And this is the way it is with the elect. They believe the gospel, even when it involves personal cost. But does this describe you? Further evidence of election by which Paul knows the Thessalonians are Christians is their changed behavior. True faith in election can always be recognized by the fruit that it bears. Paul speaks in verse 3 of their work of faith, their labor of love. These are references to a way of living that is born of faith and proves their love for the Lord Jesus. Surely Paul has in mind such acts of love and kindness like caring for the sick and comforting the dying and instructing the ignorant. And so we understand that the Thessalonians were caring for one another. They were meeting one another's needs within the church. And Paul says more in verse 6, he says of the Thessalonian believers, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And verse 9, Paul says that they now serve the living and true God. It's evident that the lives of these believers are now governed by a desire to do God's will. They want to live in a way that glorifies God. And even though we must not narrow the application of these verses and say that the good works of these Christians included only certain ones, still it seems to us that the emphasis in these verses is upon the particular good work of spreading the gospel. Paul says in verse 6 that they have become imitators of him and his companions and of the Lord. And in verse 7 that they are an example to all other believers in that region of the world. And what exactly is it that they are doing? Well, everything seems to be leading up to verse 8, where Paul says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. The particular language that Paul uses doesn't require that the, it doesn't require us to believe that Thessalonians are sending out missionaries to this vast region of Greece and beyond. But likely the scenario was something like this, that Thessalonica being a major port city to which many people traveled while doing business, apparently while people were there, the Thessalonian Christians were reaching many of these visitors with the gospel. 
who then carried the gospel back to their homes, thus circulating the gospel all over. So it was that as Paul and his companions continued on in their missionary journeys, they were constantly running into people who knew the Thessalonian believers. And he, he never found the need to say anything about the believers in Thessalonica because everybody already seemed to know about them. And this is all you see, another evidence of election, that the elect spread the good news. They love Jesus for what he has done for them, and they can't help but tell others the good news. In fact, the elect are so intent in getting the message of the gospel to the lost that not even persecution stops them. I believe that this is what Paul means in verse 3 by their steadfastness of hope. We have here really the word for endurance. And endurance means that you continue doing something even when it is difficult. The elect endure. They continue to do good works, including the spreading of the gospel despite opposition, despite hardships. And this ability to endure in the Christian life is grounded in our hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you an elect child of God who spreads the good news? Do you do so even when there are obstacles? And do you have steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? Verse 10 says more about this hope and about how this hope affects the lives of God's elect. In verses 9 and 10, Paul is explaining the reputation that these Christians have throughout Greece, Macedonia, and Achaia. In verse 9, he says that what is being reported is how they received the gospel and how it affected their lives so that everyone now knows they serve God. But there's something else that everyone knows as well about these Thessalonian believers. According to verse 10, that they are waiting for God's Son from heaven. The elect of God know and they believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. They know and believe that there is coming a judgment day when all who are unrighteous will come under God's wrath. But the elect know and believe that Jesus is our Savior who delivers us from the wrath to come. The elect of God believe that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to take his own, that we might live with him. This is a very hopeful view of the future. And the belief that the Lord will return and will reward his followers with eternal life is in fact in great part what enables us to persevere through hardships. It's a source of encouragement and comfort to know that we will receive from our Lord um, rewards in heaven that will more than make up for the losses that we experience in this life. Waiting for the Lord is also what inspires us to lead holy lives. If we are eagerly awaiting the return of our Lord, we will want him to find us at his return serving him. We will want to hear from him those words, well done, good and faithful servant. The elect of God thus demonstrate their election by a life of good works and service as they await the return of their Savior. My prayer is that you see these evidences in your own life. If after what has been said this evening you wonder if you are elect, well, you can put aside right now all doubt concerning whether you are elect or not by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, receiving him even now as the only one who can deliver you from the wrath to come. And only the elect, you understand, put their trust in Christ. And if you have put your trust in Christ from the heart, flowing out of that faith will be the good works and lifestyle that, are been, that have been talked about this evening. 
So don't misunderstand and think that living like a Christian makes you elect. No, the elect are always those who trust in Christ alone and then do good works out of love for him. I'm thankful for the ways that you give evidence of being the elect of God. And knowing that God is at work in your life, the response you see must be to thank God, just as Paul does for God's work in the Thessalonians. Since election and faith are gracious gifts of God that cannot be earned, all we can do is thank God for his work of salvation in us. You believe the gospel because he enabled you to believe. You spread the gospel because Christ gave you a love for it. You do all manner of good works because God has given you a love for him. In all of life, you wait for Jesus because he has given you the faith to believe that he is coming. And because you long for his return, you live a life of good works for him. That's how it is for the elect, by God's grace. We don't boast about our election or about our faith or about our works, but all we do is thank God who out of pure grace and love chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that even from eternity, it was your will that Christ would be the head of his church, that there would be elect sinners who would be saved, who would be granted repentance and faith and uh, united to Christ and spared from the wrath to come. Father, we thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for, Lord, making it evident to us that we are elect as people of faith, as people who long for Christ's return, as people who want to please him with our lives. Lord, we confess that we are not perfect in our walk, but Lord, we, we know that our only hope is the Lord Jesus. We know that we need the forgiveness of our sins even each and every day, and so we look to Christ And we know that such faith is evidence of election, and we're thankful, thankful that you did not leave us uh, in our sins, that you did not leave us to to suffer the eternal judgment that we deserve. So, uh, Father, we thank you that uh, we can know we belong to you. We pray that you would give this assurance to everyone here. If there are any who doubt, Lord, we pray that they would even this evening put their faith and trust in you, recognizing that, that faith that, that a looking to Christ is evidence of election, evidence of your work in their hearts. And, uh, Lord, we pray that we might be encouraged by these things. We pray that uh, we would, Lord, make it evident to everyone around us that we are people of faith, that we would be uh, witnesses of the good news, that we would be, Lord, making it very clear to all around that uh, you have done a mighty work in our hearts. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.